Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, please. I don't know why, but it always gives me, as you can tell, lots of tears when we do baby dedications. Blessings on you as moms. As we sang uh, Waymaker, that song I thought... There's some moms who very specifically are wanting to believe that truth as you look for the Lord to make a way in whatever unique challenges or unique experiences you are having right now as a young mom or as a grandmother or as an aunt uh, or a want-to-be, a want-to-be mom. So that's why I ask the Lord to, to bless in that way. We are... Aware as men and fathers that being a mom is hard work. And so uh, the message this morning from Ephesians 1 is not specific to moms, but it relates very much to what we know moms need, and that is the power of God at work in their life. And so what we're looking at in Ephesians 1, if you're visiting or just joining us for the first time, is a prayer that Paul prays for the believers in a place called Ephesus, and he's praying for fullness for them. And it's a prayer that we're praying for ourselves, that there would be fullness at Christian Family Chapel. And by fullness, he means this. He closes the prayer by identifying this about our head, the Lord Jesus. He says, and he, the Father, put all things in subjection under his, the son's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. So Jesus, the son of God, is the head of Christian Family Chapel, and we are the body of Christ. Watch. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And so what the scripture is declaring is the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. And how in his supremacy, it is his intention that he would fill all in all. And he would do that through his body, us. So the prayer is really quite simple. That we would be the full expression of the fullness of Christ. That's this overarching prayer. A prayer that we would be the body of Christ that reveals the fullness of Christ. And to do that, he prays four specific requests. First, that we would know him. Because we can't reveal someone we don't know. The more we know who God is and what he's like and how he loves and how he forgives and how he helps, then as the body of Christ, what will we do? We will love and we will forgive and we will help and we'll give grace because that's who he is. We cannot be him if we don't know him. And so I would cry out to you again this morning that you and I would be people who would know the Lord through his word. If this is not a regular part, a daily part, a consistent part of your life, I invite you, by the spirit of God, because apart from his spirit, you can't understand this. 
And so if you're going, I try to read my Bible and I just don't ever understand it, it may be because the Spirit of God doesn't dwell within you. That you need a relationship with him to become his child so that you can understand his word. But this is how we know him so that we can reveal him. Last week, Bill Winton talked about knowing the hope of his calling and knowing the glory of his inheritance. That if we're going to be the full expression of the body of Christ, we need to know that his calling is everybody's invited. Up the invites was what Bill said over and over and over. Uh, Everybody's invited. All are invited to come. That's the hope of his calling. All are invited. And the glory of his inheritance will simply be this. That there will be for all eternity in heaven, those from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation who will worship him. That's the glory of his inheritance. And if we don't know that, we won't be the fullness of Christ because our invites won't be as they should be and our vision will only be local. The reason we have at the heart of our church a vision for the nations is because the glory of his inheritance is every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. And we're not going to fully reveal him unless we know that. And so I'm going to ask you again, as a body, how are you individually engaging, participating in the gospel to the nations? If you don't have any involvement in anybody who is helping the gospel to go to the nations, then that'd be a word of the Lord to you right now this morning that you would connect. Go onto our website and find our commended missionaries. There's plenty of opportunities all around the globe for you to join with our head, Jesus Christ, for his inheritance from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. So you get it? We have to know what he wants in order to reveal him fully. And now, This morning, what we're going to look at is the fourth request he makes is that they would know his power. And I don't think this is hard for us to understand, but let me say it very simply. Until you and I learn as the children of God to live in the power of God, we won't reveal him. We'll just reveal our best efforts. So ask yourself, really, right now, do you know how... And are you living in the power of God? Because this is the prayer. You're open there, Ephesians 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, there's going to be a light come on regarding what is the hope of his calling. This was last week. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So, Eyes of the heart be enlightened there. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to whom? The church, which is his body. So, If we're going to fully reveal the fullness of Christ, we need to learn to live in his power. And this passage tells us, first and foremost, the power of God is surpassingly great. Not just, hey, it's powerful. It's not just great. It is surpassingly great. The power of God that that he wants us to learn to know what it is and how to live in it is surpassingly great. In other words, it's more power than you'll ever need for anything you ever face. Did you hear that? No matter what you face in life, the worst that you could ever imagine, the power of God is greater. It's surpassingly great. And it's revealed in Jesus. In other words, he takes a few verses to help us understand. Here's how great the power of God is revealed in Jesus. It's the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That power, which is surpassingly great, raises the dead. And it's the power of God revealed in Jesus is that It's by his surpassingly great power that he exalted Jesus over all. And it's by that power revealed in Jesus that he subjected all things under him. Now, I've run through this real quickly for this reason. The point of this passage is not what God did through his power in Jesus. It's that we would know how great it is by what he did in Jesus, by raising him from the dead, by putting him over all, and then by bringing everything under him. Far above, not just above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's named Uh, Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Paul's point is simply this. When we're talking about the power of God, it's the power to do whatever he pleases. And that matters for this reason. The surpassing greatness of his power is where? Toward us who believe. This is the point of this passage. This is, whether you show it on your face or not, this is what you and I ought to walk out the doors or when we turn off the TV later today, we ought to go, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that exalted him over all and subjected all things under him, that same power is what? Toward us who believe. Meaning it wants to 
wasn't. Right? The power of God once was not toward you. When did it become toward you? When you believed. When you repented of your sin, believed in Jesus, and received the free gift of God in Christ, the power that was demonstrated towards Jesus is now toward you. How? It's toward you because now the power of God is in you. It's not a force. The power of God is a person, the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is why the power of God once wasn't toward you because it's in the person of the indwelling Spirit. And that only happens when you believe and are born again. And it's not only toward you by being in you, it's consistently always toward you. You've sat out since you live in Florida. You sat outside on a hot day and brought a fan out, and maybe there was multiple ones, and they oscillated it, and you had to kind of take your turn with the fan. But if it would have just been you, what would have you done? Yeah, you had a, and some people do that. They just get closer and closer to the fan. You're like, hey, stop it. You're blocking all airflow. But you want that fan pointed toward you. Sometimes we think, oh, hey, God, I need some power. I got to, you've probably prayed this, and I've got a hard, hard day, a hard, hard week. I need your power today. As if it's oscillating. He's like, oh, you need some power here. Is that the power of God? No, the power of God is in the person of the Holy Spirit, which is in you. And so go figure, but it's always pointed toward you and toward you. And toward you. It's like, it's a 360 degree because it's in you. This is why I understand when people go, and you know, I come to get to church to get recharged. Really? Like God's a battery that kind of, I plug in. And I skipped a few weeks. I was like really low. And I came in, I got pumped up. We don't come to church to get recharged. The power of God is surpassingly great, consistently toward you who believe at all times, full strength, no diminishing. Why do we come to church? To get refocused ourselves. It's not because he, God's like, oh man, you guys are wearing me out. We come to church to get refocused ourselves, not recharge or get reminded. Some of you, I hope, will walk out and go, Wow, I I really needed that reminder that the surpassingly great power of God is pointed toward me, always. Or probably what we most need is when we come to church is, whether it's be reminded or refocused, just to be repentant. Lord, this past week, I wasn't walking where you tell me to walk. Or, I was just trying to live according to my own Strength. And what I hope happens in really my heart and your heart this morning is simply this that we will repent of walking in our own way or walking in our own strength. That we will align ourselves as the body with the head and say, I'm in step with you, you're the head, and I'm going to live according to the 
surpassingly great power of God. Not oscillating toward you always, consistently. Repentant? Yes. Recharged? No. That's an offense to God. So how has that then worked out? Well, the core point, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is toward those who believe. It's toward, it's toward believers in Jesus for three magnificent purposes. First, the surpassingly great power of God is in us to actually work first in us. What's that mean? Well, the scripture says it this way. It is God who is at work in you for what purpose? Both to will and to work. For who? For his good pleasure. Don't run by that too quickly. It's God who is at work in you, both to will. What does it mean that he's in work, at work within you to will? As you potentially became a follower of Jesus, have you always loved what he loved and hated what he hated? Uh, yes or no? No, you didn't. Plenty of things that he loved that you didn't love. And it may be that you can think of specific things right now that you go, well, I didn't used to love what God loved, but I do love what God loves. I didn't used to care about the nations, but actually I do. I didn't used to care about the poor. Now I do. I didn't used to care about children. Now I do. You know why? Because the surpassingly great power of God is at work in you, both to will, to transform your will into his will. The surpassingly great power of God at work in the believer is for the transforming of their will into his will. I used to want and desire and participate in things that he didn't want, desire, or intend for me to participate in. And I didn't change my desire. He did. Aren't you glad? It is the transforming work of God that changes us. This is why it can be sometimes confusing regarding the gospel. Does a person need to change in order to be saved? The answer to that is absolutely no. I don't change. I don't become a new person so that I can clean myself up and come to God. I admit that I'm not a clean person and that Christ has paid the penalty for my sin and I can only receive it. That's how I come to God. But watch, when I come to him and I am now his child, he absolutely changes me. He changes me. 
We think about change from the outside. God changes us from the inside out. He is at work in us both to will, to change the desire, and to work for his good pleasure. God intends to change me and you if we're his children from the inside out. That is why, again, I'm going to say it's possible that if you think, I know I should change, but you never, ever change, you may not be born again. Because God will change his children from the inside out. There are plenty of men and women who come to our biblical counseling in our Hope Center and they discover that they grew up in church and that they knew things about the Bible. They didn't actually have a relationship with God. And the reason they're in counseling is because they want to change, they want to change, they want to change, they just never do. And they discover that change is only made by the surpassingly great power of God at work in a person. Now, it may be that you're born again and you didn't know the surpassingly great power of God was at work in you. I'm glad you're here. Or you don't know how to make it work. You don't know how to abide in Christ or live by faith. Or you're rebellious. But it could be that you're not redeemed. So I I simply want to invite you, each of you, again, to ask yourself, have I been born again? Have I admitted my sin, believed in Jesus, and received a free gift? Didn't make myself worthy, because I couldn't. I didn't change myself. I didn't clean myself to come to God. I came to God, and he cleaned me and started changing me from the inside out. The power of God at work in the believer. Second, his surpassingly great power is at work not only in us, his surpassingly great power is at work through us. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Is the power of God at work through you? It's intended to be if you're his children. People are intended to be able to go, wow, I see the power of God at work through your life. Here's how it goes. Uh, Peter writes, as each one has received a special gift. He is saying, if you have been born again, when you, not, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you not only receive the person who has surpassingly great power, he brought a gift a supernatural talent, a God-given skill to your life. For you to employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, gifts are given to be given a job. Some get gifts from God and never put them to work in serving. And he's going, that's bad stewardship of the grace of God. We're never going to see the supernatural God, the supernatural work of God through us unless we serve. So if you're not serving in any way, 
you're missing it. I don't know how else to say it. Not being rude. It's just the scripture says you were gifted to serve. And here's how it works. Next verse. Whoever speaks. So he says in this passage, all gifts come in one of two buckets. Speaking gifts or serving gifts. You know, like speaking gifts, teachers or prophets or counselors or musicians. Those who speak with good tone. They're speaking gifts. And don't think, oh, I've just always been a good singer. Really? Are there natural gifts and spiritual gifts? As if somehow you got your natural gifts from someone other than God? So if you're good at something, guess what? God made you good at it. Now, maybe for the first time you go, oh, now I get it. God made me good at it for the sake of serving others. Whether he made you good at speaking or the other bucket, serving gifts. Good at helps. Good at administration. Good at leadership. Good at mercy. Good at giving. Why do you do that? For you to give those gifts of job and serving others and here's what I love about this whereas speaking is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God see when I recognize the surpassingly great power of God the Holy Spirit is alive and living in me and has gifted me to speak or gifted you to speak in some way. The goal is that whether it's on a stage or a counseling room or across the table at coffee, that people would go, I heard the Lord through you. So prayer every time that I would certainly speak here, church, that you'd walk out and go, I heard the Lord. Whether you obey the Lord, trust the Lord, believe the Lord, that'll be on you. But did you hear the Lord? Whoever speaks, when I speak, I want it to be as if you're hearing the Lord. Not because I'm the Lord, but because he is living in me and speaking through me. Moms. When you speak to your kids, you want them to go, right? You want them to go, hey, this is the Lord. <laughs> and you're speaking the truth. The Lord's speaking through you. And when your kids don't obey, what do you tell them? The other Lord's coming home and he's going to speak truth as well. Now, you get it. When you speak truth, when we speak it in grace, speaking his word, the utterances of God. And whoever serves to do so is one who is serving by the strength with which God supplies. Do you do anything that's too hard for you? See, if you don't, you're missing God. If you only do what you feel comfortable doing, what you feel adequate doing, you're going to miss the Lord. 
Because where we find the Lord so powerfully at work through us is when we say, there's a need, and I know you have given me a gift that feels harder and bigger than me, but I'm going to step in believing that he will supernaturally strengthen me to meet the need. That's when we discover the Lord. And I, church, I want you to know the Lord in that way. So is there something that you think, I know the Lord's encouraged me to do this. I thought about it, but then I, ah, it seems too much. I feel a little inadequate. I feel scared. And you stepped back. This morning, I'm encouraging you. Step forward. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is toward you. Do you think that will be enough? Yes. <laughs> yes, come on. That'll be more than enough. It's just we, we know it, but we don't know it because we step back in fear instead of stepping in in faith and experiencing. God gave me the words when I didn't have the words. God gave me the strength when I didn't have the strength. And I experienced not resurrection <laughs> yet, but enablement. That's the beauty of the power of God at work through us. The surpassingly great power of God at work through the believer is for the accomplishing of God's work on earth. That is why he has pointed his power toward us by placing his spirit in us so that the will of God would be done on earth through us as it is in heaven. Maybe you remember this identity statement that we repeated hundreds and hundreds of times. If you've forgotten, I want to bring it back. If this is new to you, uh, this is something that I've said from the front hundreds of times to myself thousands of times. I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The Spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. Is that true for you? Yes. It's true for you. It's not because, oh, well, you're like a pastor, of course. No, this is not a pastor's identity. This is the identity of every person who is trusted in Jesus. So that wherever you go, wherever you go today to celebrate Mother's Day, wherever you go to work tomorrow, wherever you go to school, whatever neighborhood you live in, that you're going to go there as a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. And the Spirit of God is going to be in you to do the work of God through you, wherever you go tomorrow. You're going to be an instrument of God so that more people are going to find more life in Jesus as you speak according to the utterances of God or as you serve according to the strength with which he supplies. You see it? That is the beauty of why we remember. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is pointed toward you so that the work of God would be done through us. 
Paul says it this way. He says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Does that sound like like over the top impossible right there? (laughs) Yeah, that does. All he's saying is, We're doing everything we can to make disciples. We proclaim him so that those who are dead in their sins could be born again. We teach so that those who are new in Christ could grow up in Christ. And we admonish because sometimes, no, strike that, all of us always at some point hear what we're supposed to do and don't do it. And what do we need? We need admonished. But you know what I hear all the time? Oh, I just can't do that. I just can't do that. Admonishment's just not my gift. Hey, newsflash. Admonishment is not a gift. It's a command. It's not a gift. Nobody has the gift of admonishment. In fact, if you think you have the gift of admonishment, nobody wants you. Because that means, oh, it's my gift to run around and kick people into shape. But it is the responsibility that we have because We're not going to grow in Christ and reveal the fullness of Christ without teaching and then admonishment when we don't follow the teaching. See, when I said to you, if you are a believer in Christ and you're not serving, I was admonishing you whether you knew it or not. Because you should. Because you've been given a gift. It's an admonishment. But here's why I love this passage. He's going, we're doing this we're proclaiming, admonishing, and teaching everybody with wisdom so we can present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which is what? Mightily at work within me. Proclaim him according to his power, mightily at work within you. Teach, whether it's your kids in your home or some of your neighbors, or Sunday school, or youth, teach. You don't have to stand up here unless the Lord calls you. Hey, if the Lord didn't call me, I wouldn't stand up here. Honestly. The greatest fear of my life is actually talking in front of people. Now you go, oh, come on. No, seriously. It is. I would not do this if I didn't think the Lord would send a whale after me if I didn't. If I stopped, I'd be afraid to go offshore fishing. Because I think with all my heart, Lord has made me to be a teacher. Not because I feel adequate. Because in my own adequacy, (laughs) I throw up. My stomach does really bad stuff. And I would cry, not because my heart is for you, just because I was chicken. Seriously. Mighty let it work in you. That's my story. What's yours? Of how the power of God is mightily at work within you. Got a uh, really encouraging email last week. That was two weeks ago now. Guy said, so thankful for the instruction we're getting and how we're growing. He said, I've, I've, I've started proclaiming him. And a family member came to Christ, and a, a guy who came to do a service at our house, I shared the gospel with him. I couldn't believe it. Our, he repented and believed at my house. He was just there to, like, to fix the internet. He said, I'm starting to disciple him next Friday. This is amazing. 
And here's how he signs his email. He says, so God is at work. He's always been, I've just been on the bench. Right? Okay, here's some admonishment. Sorry, camera, all right. Uh, Too many bench sitters. And the church will not be the fullness of Christ who fills all and is in all while we're on the bench. And our fear is keeping us there. Our sin is keeping us there. Our preoccupation, our distraction, our love for other stuff, keeping us on the bench. And the power of God that took Jesus out of the grave and put him over all is the power of God that wants to take you off the bench and get you engaged in the work of God to the glory of God by the power of God. And his surpassingly great power is at work for us. It's at work in us, and it's at work through us, and it's at work for us. Is there a difference? (laughs) Huge. Is there a difference between God at work in us and God at work through us? Yes. He's at work in us to transform our will into his will. He's at work through us so that his will, which is being done in heaven, will be done in earth through us. What's it mean that his surpassingly great power is at work for us? Two very specific outcomes of that. First, this is not trite, this is not cliche, this is life-altering. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To whom? To those who love God. Again, this is a promise toward those who believe, just like the surpassingly great power of God is a promise toward those who believe. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Doesn't always seem that way. Doesn't always feel that way. Correct? I mean, really, every day in your life you're going, oh, I just see the power of God working for me. No, there's some days it's like, Lord, I could, this does not seem like it's for me. Ever feel like it's against you? Yes, sure. You ever feel like it's absent? Yes. Is it? No. No, no, no. We know that God causes all things for good. So, what's that mean? The surpassingly great power of God at work for the believer is the basis for (laughs) no more grumbling. Really? Yes. One of the absolutely, here's what Philippians says. You want to shine like the stars shine in a dark night? Then go to work and never grumble. Will that night make you stand out at work? 
Just go home and never grumble. Some of you are going, yeah, that's just... Hey, the power that rose... This is when we need to go. Okay, that's going to take resurrection power. Right, right, right. We're like professional grumblers. We just do it without even knowing we're doing it. And we grumble about our grumbling. And, and this isn't trite. If you think, oh, this is so silly. It's not trite at all. Is it not offensive to our heavenly father who has said, I will work all things together for good in your life. I will, I promise. And if you don't get it, go to the cross and see the risen Savior. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, or it's always going to make sense, or I'm going to do exactly what, I want, what you want me to do when you want me to do it. But I promise I will always work for good in your life. And when we grumble, it's like, God just doesn't love me, doesn't care for me, can't do it, he's absent. No, we don't say those things, we just grumble. And complain. You want to be the fullness of Christ church in Jacksonville? Let's just catch ourselves. No more grumbling. And when we do, because we've done it for so long, Lord, I repent. I repent. I change my mind. I acknowledge this doesn't look good. I trust you. I don't understand. I trust you. This is not what I want. I trust you. You see it? Why? Because the surpassingly great power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is at work for you. So no grumbling. And knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. He's simply saying the fact that the power of God was demonstrated in raising Jesus from the dead. If you are a child of God, you are one with him. And therefore, what will be true for you? If you are in Christ, what will be true for you? You're going to raise also. Practically, that means no grumbling in life and no fear in death. Now, for some of you, you're going, ah, that doesn't mean anything to me. Death feels like a long way away. And it may be, or it may not be. But some of you are, it's creeping up on you. And I don't say that lightly. Because the sense that, that death is creeping up on you can cause tremendous fear and panic in your life. And I want you to know the power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you. Don't fear. I'll admit, that feels theoretically to me because I'm young. <laughs> but I'm stupid too when I think that. Doesn't change it, friends. I don't know that I have a better, honestly, a better message to share with you than the one I just shared with you. The power of God 
that raised Jesus from the dead. At work in you to change you. At work through you for you to be an instrument of God and at work for you. So you can trust him and end the grumbling and put an end to fear. That's transformational. So there it is. Let me invite the band to come and we're going to sing. But before we sing, I'm going to give us a time to respond to the Lord personally. We're going to do it corporately in Psalm. But I think the Lord has probably spoken to every one of you in one or multiple ways. So bow with me and kind of try and forget, not what we just talked about, but all the other distractions. Just say yes to what the Lord has prompted you with in this moment. That might begin for some acknowledging Lord, I, I'm not your child. And you would admit your sin, your inability to change, and believe in Jesus who changes everyone he saves. Some of you have experienced this morning the admonishment of being on the bench. And you know loud and clear the Holy Spirit has said to you, use the gift I've given to you. Would you say yes, Lord? I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participant. I want to be a good steward of the gift you've given me. I want to serve. If you're not sure how that is, practically, don't hesitate to reach out. We can help you. But it begins with a heart that says, yes, Lord, I'm an instrument of God. Time for me to get off the bench. Or maybe you've been grumbling about something very specific in your life. And you repent of that now. You're a complainer. And you see that's an offense to your heavenly father. I want to encourage you in this moment, not just to say, Lord, I'm sorry for grumbling but to actually take a next step in what you've been grumbling about, tell him thank you for it. That might seem crazy. It's not. It's an act of faith, believing in the promise of God. Thank him for the hard in your life. And maybe you've been afraid. Afraid of death. Would you affirm right now, Lord, thank you that you'll raise me as you raised your son. 
Lord, we love you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thanks for pointing through your spirit, your power toward us. We want to live in it to the praise of your glory. Let's stand together and declare this as the truth that changes us.